Welcome to the Scale with Tech and AI Growth Lab podcast. I'm your host, Jay Farr at Tech Fusion Systems. Today, our guest is Kareen Ishio. Kareen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jay. Great to have you here. So can you tell us a little bit about MyWorkingSoul.com and what you guys do? I, I adore that you gave everyone the full website to visit. So thank you. MyWorkingSoul.com. I'm going to plug that again. Um, but my working soul is the new human resources. And what do I mean by that? I'm sure that everyone listening has their own connotation of what human resources is, how they feel about it. And uh, when we put something like the new human resources on top of that, it connotes transformation. And we are transforming as a culture, as a global world culture in terms of the way that work is performed. And so the new human resources of My Working Soul aims to support that transformation. And so we tactically provide expertise on coaching, as well as communications materials for companies. And we support that with HR, with hiring, talent acquisition. And the hallmark of our process is that it's built on a system that embraces multimodal communication. And as someone who's a perpetual reader, I am really passionate about words. And so being able to translate value is always something that the entire My Working Soul team is really passionate about. Wow, that sounds sounds amazing. It's interesting because I've been interviewing a lot of people recently in the, I might just call it the HR space. I don't know what you would call the kind of the umbrella term for like the space of everyone who's doing something within human resources. And there seems to be... I see two things and I'm interested to to know how you see it from a big picture. There seems to be an awful lot of problems and an awful lot of opportunity for improving that those situations and the trend of people starting to recognize that. And so there seems to be more awareness around that than there used to be. And there seems to be more motivation for people to to take action to make that better. Are you seeing any sort of trends like that? What's your opinion about that? Yes, I think that's an apt observation. And as also a student of history is another identifier that I resonate with. So as a student of history, I'm very interested in tracking work and the history of work. I have a soft spot in particular for the industrial revolution and all of the consequences that came from the rapid advancement of technology. And bringing that into the, the future tense, I'll call it, we're witnessing currently recently, I should say, a lot of different phases. People might be familiar with what was termed the great resignation recently. Then successively, it was the great layoffs. And now we are currently in and continuing to approach this era that they're calling the great mismatch. And I tend to gravitate to this because I specialize specifically in hiring and talent acquisition. I'm a recruiter for life. Um, but the other thing about hiring and talent acquisition specifically as a part of the HR suite is that it defines and contextualizes the working relationship um, of an employer and an employee. And as we continue to approach the gig economy where people are empowered to create their own futures, quite literally, we're witnessing a lot of different skills matching. It's really key to think about the value match. And there's a process of reframing that takes place. You mentioned a few, you, you use the word problems, which I 
gravitated towards. I personally am an I'm an optimist. <laughs> so I typically think in terms of solutions. And I like the way that you contextualize that in terms of opportunities. That was the words uh, you used. And for me, I think that part of the idea of terming something the new human resources is not necessarily to demonize anything that has occurred in the past. There's always reasons to why work evolves in the way that it does. But it is a critical recognition that human resources as a department has a very non-standardized function, and it's not best serving the people that it's supposed to serve. It's not serving businesses as well as they could be, and it's not serving uh, the employees and the human experience. So it's not HR's fault, um, but something definitely needs to change. Yeah, I think that was well said. And I can't help myself because I've been an engineer since I was five years old. And so the only thing engineers know how to do is to identify you know, opportunities and find ways to improve them. So I almost can't just help it, but I love how you said, let's not demonize the past. Let's just learn from it. And then that can teach us how to make things better. So I love that kind of um, viewpoint, I guess you'd say. What kinds of things um, do you guys do inside of HR and inside of placement? And you talked a lot about kind of placement, I think, and in talent matching and, and those sorts of things. How do you guys approach HR in a way that's different than it's been done in the past to, to make it better? Yes, that's a really good question, Jay. And it alludes to the nature of human resources as it has been defined in the past, where it often feels like a mentor said this to me, like you have two husbands or <laughs> you have two people that you're trying to best serve all at the same time. And we see this trend in HR where different pieces of the HR suite have become more frequent, more frequently outsourced, things like payroll, benefits administration. There's pieces that can uh, break off a little bit more naturally. The piece of HR that's really essential to be connected internally to a business is the is the people part, actually forming relationships and understanding how communication informs relationships, especially in a remote work setting. And a lot of the times in HR, when you're, they, there's a term called inheriting, <laughs> like inheriting employees, like you're not starting from the ground up. One of the things that you might see is that breaks your heart. There's some people who just had a bad experience who weren't communicated in a way that could make sense for them. And then it turns into an antagonistic relationship that is that sometimes can no longer be salvaged. And that's heartbreaking. And it's really key to have that wisdom and experience when you are in that stage of hiring anyone, whether you're starting from employee one um, or employee 1000, just uh, being able to understand some of the parameters around what can happen in the future and building building systems and also delivering the communication to the right audiences and leave a paper trail, <laughs> so to speak. This is the risk averse part of me coming in. Leave a paper trail, communicate messages in a way that is is easily tracked. So that person can, they might feel however they feel at the end of the day, but they'll never be able to say that they weren't treated with respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So you brought up two things. One, you talked a lot about relationships and I'm glad you brought that up because it seems if we look at the history of employment, there's been a lot of kind of ups and downs and a lot of change. We used to have pensions. Those things don't really exist anymore. We used to have a lot of long-term employment a long time ago. 
people would go to work for a company and they would stay there forever. That's the only job they would ever had have. They would uh, get a pension, they would retire, and things are vastly different now. And it's interesting because it really is a relationship, right? I think that the mistake that is made by some people is they look at it as a simple arrangement and nothing more, right? Employer is going to hire a person to do a particular task, a job, and they're going to pay them X amount of dollars. They make the agreement and it's done, right? And that's not the case at all. Relationships change and evolve over time. And if they're not maintained, they start to die, right? It's almost, I don't know, being a gardener, right? You have to plant the, plant the seed and, and grow the, the fruit or the vegetable, and you have to maintain this relationship and this balance. And do you think there's a lot of growth that needs to be done there uh, between employees and employers? That's a really great question. And I'm going to risk, I'm going to risk going off on a huge tangent. Uh, but there were so many intriguing things that came to mind when you said that. And uh, I'll try to condense this. But yes. So in terms of the two partners thing that I mentioned earlier of holding two people's hands at once, there's also this feeling of almost parenthood. <laughs> and I don't actually have children myself, so I'm not speaking from experience there, but I more speak as someone who does identify as an as a millennial, a millennial that thinks that they're a boomer, but I am a millennial. And one thing that I track in terms of consumer product trends, and I'm thinking about this a lot because CPG is something that's evolving a lot right now, especially in terms of digital transformation and figuring out how to engage with a new audience of, of American consumers in particular. And it's interesting because when I was younger, I remember the stores that were really popular in the mall, Express and the Limited. <laughs> and I think about some of the cultural messages that I received and also just my own particular upbringing. And there was a lot of emphasis on work and being prepared for work <laughs> and being prepared for life. And I do notice this phenomenon where it feels sometimes on the employee side, and I identify as an employee, I've been an employee many times. Um, I think that there's this feeling, or I think the ugly word for it would be entitlement. A better word for it, in my opinion, that's a little bit softer would be just seeing an entity as responsible for you, thinking that there's going to be certainty. And that's just not really what the realities of business are able to promise in this day and age. So right there, that's really focusing mostly on the candidate side right now. I could go into <laughs> so much detail, but I just noticed that for my generation in particular, I think we received a lot of cultural messaging about work and being prepared for it. I think that now that a lot of us are in corporate settings, I venture to say that maybe that vision disappointed us and this expectation type of culture, especially visually on social media and seeing so many people have fun at work. Um, we can sometimes forget that might be subjective. Yeah, that's interesting. I do think maybe there's a disconnect between some of the flashiness on social media and real life. And we talked about that briefly before we started uh, recording. Uh, I think we were talking about the the romanticism of entrepreneur entrepreneurs and their journey and what it looks like in the movies and what it really looks like in real life. And so I do think there's this disconnect between the flashy posts and shorts that people put on social media and what it's like in real life to either be an entrepreneur or to have a career or to have a placement in a company. Do you think that's partially responsible for like 
maybe, I don't know if I would say false expectations or uh, just unrealistic expect expectations as to what the experience is really going to be like. That's a very thoughtful question, Jay. Thank you so much for that. And I think it depends because I'm not, I think the tonality and authenticity are emotions that come across when one really has put thought into the content that is being produced. For example, I'll totally call myself out. I am known to post what I call a vanity post <laughs> on LinkedIn. Um, and there's something to do with the algorithm with that. People want to see that you're a real human being and that you do things. I, behind the scenes, call them vanity posts and I hate doing them because <laughs> I think it's really vain. I um, love but I'm it. Like, I love it. I think I'm going to start. I'm going to take that term. I love it. Oh, vanity post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's referencing little women and how one of the characters, Joe, would say that her hair was her one vanity. So that's where we, it derives from okay. for me. But yeah, I think, so I'll have these vanity posts, but I'm very intentional about really thinking about, okay, where was I when this picture was taken? What's the message about work that I want to impart? I always tie that vanity <laughs> to a function. And so someone could see a post from me and say, wow, what a what an airhead, <laughs> like what a vain person she is. And I would laugh and I'd say, that's okay. Cause I, in an attention economy, I exactly wanted your attention. So I'm glad that you think I'm an airhead. And I hope that you take the time to read the caption because that's where I put a lot of my authenticity. So again, I think it's just, I think that a lot of digital natives in, in a generation like millennial YZ, we've grown up knowing that we can't necessarily trust anything. So I don't know that our generation are, are that uh, naive to really just believe everything. But I think when someone might be, and this touches on something that My Working Soul does deal with, sometimes when you're not in the most connected soul state is what I'll call it, non-denominational soul state, sometimes your perception can become warped. And then you do fall into that danger of what you said, which is wish, wishful thinking is what I'll call it. I love the fact you brought up being genuine, and I think it's okay to make those posts because you are being genuine. You're being goofy. It's this is me and that's, and that's okay. And I know something I, I really love about Alex Hermosi, who is, is put out several times in a couple different versions, is talking about how it's okay to have a bad day. Like, you're going to have bad days. Get over it. Like, that's part of it. Like, this expectation, like, again, going back to, like, maybe I think it's easy to have, like, false expectations and just, you know, wish for the moon every day uh, is not reality. And having a day that's not a 100% day is okay, right? That's part of the process, and you shouldn't get down on the day just because it's not the best day you've ever had. And that's just part of the journey. And I think that just that attitude towards it makes it acceptable to say, okay, today's not quite as good as yesterday, but we're going to make the best of it. And that's okay. And tomorrow's a new day instead of it weighing on you and, and, and bringing you down just because it wasn't quite what you had hoped for that day. Cause we can't control everything. I'm going to take a controversial and odd stance on this one. <laughs> and I do recognize the, the beauty of what you're saying. And to a large extent, I agree with it, 
I also think it's okay to totally freak out within boundaries, <laughs> like freak out in the confines of a uh, private space. Or like, maybe we do have that moment where we say, this is a disaster and I planned it and it shouldn't have been a disaster and I am upset about it. And there's a safe context <laughs> in which to do it. Don't do it on national television, maybe. Don't even put that on social media, maybe. But you can be authentic. It's like, you can, if you feel that way, I'm one, I never try to guys the way that I feel, even when I know it's not okay or politically correct, or I always find a way to be respectful, but still tell the truth. And that's the essence of really loving someone in, in my opinion, is respecting them enough to tell them the truth in the way that maybe they won't agree with, <laughs> but they'll never say that I disrespected them. And that's always like a key focus point for me. Oh, whoa, got aggressive there. Yeah. <laughs> No, that was great. No, I, I totally can identify with that. And yeah, as far as controlling your emotions on bad days, it's easier said than done. Like it does help me a lot yeah. on days that don't go so well, but is it a 100% work all the time sort of thing? No. And yeah, I totally agree. There's more than one way to, to say things to someone on finding that kind of tactful, respectful way. Number one, it's, it's, it's respectful and proper, but number two, your message is going to be received, uh, I think a lot better as well, which is really your goal to begin with. Yeah. I think that is something, something to think about craft your message to the person that you want to give it to in the way that, that they're going to receive it and understand it and understand where you're coming for in a, in a respectful way. Can you tell us, let's get into a little bit about the types of clients that, that you guys work with and how your process works, if we can. Yes, we are boutique in every sense of the word and have a lot of, um, I personally, as a human being, have a lot of connection with that because as someone who feels very proud to be an American, very blessed to be able to have the opportunity to have a business and actually make an impact in the world. I, it's been great being a part of that mom and pop type of ecosystem and the perfectionist nature in me. <laughs> and I'm going to be a, a little bit, I, I think that derives a lot, frankly, from my German grandmother, who was very Japanese in the sense that she that uh, level of detail sometimes in craft. You notice it in like German machinery and cars, and you also notice it in people call it Japanese mimicry in terms of being able to study something really and imitate it and create an innovation on top of that. So it's been really great to be in that ecosystem where we get to help people that are looking for that white glove luxury service, because that's truly what it is. And when I say luxury service in the context of hiring, that's a customized process. And so do I have a 15 page document that exhaustively lists every <laughs> intimate detail of how to connect with people? Yes, I do. But I'm also flexible enough. I've learned to be flexible enough thanks to my CEO and other mentors in terms of meeting people where they are and knowing that we want to up-level someone to get to that great state. But What's interesting, a lot of the times our clients will come to us and they are brilliant. I, I saw a podcast of yours where you were talking about really good at a skill, really amazing at making money at whatever their subject matter expertise is. And yet when it comes to people and how to communicate with them effectively, it's often cart before the horse type of thinking and not even knowing the sequential order of how to approach someone. 
and what would be the best strategy to craft messaging that would be non-offensive to a myriad of cultures, generational audiences, different points of view. And especially in California, where I'm sitting today, um, we're known as a quite litigious state. (laughs) I don't think that's uh, controversial to say, especially from an HR perspective. So it's so critical to really be close with each of our clients in terms of organizations and ensure that we really know what their goals are and what their vision is so we can support them alongside their path as a business, crafting that human strategy that's going to help them build and continue to scale in an intelligent fashion. And then we do support individuals as well. That was something that It was a part of the business model that a lot of people question me personally on (laughs) because it's definitely not the most necessarily financially lucrative decision to cater to both organizations and individuals. However, I could, I personally could never disconnect from the fact that there's so much education and, and learning that needs to happen in order to successfully make this shift to a new era of work. And so the long term purpose is to continuously equip human beings wherever they are on their journey, whether they're entrepreneur organization or they're just starting out as a candidate, they want to move forward in their career in a different way. We find a way to create that cyclical harmony between both groups. So it no longer has to be that holding two hands. It's like the hands are coming together. (laughs) Fantastic. That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's funny because you mentioned your ancestry and being German and Japanese. And yeah, it is interesting because I'm a, uh, I have quite a bit of German in me as well. And they're great engineers. Probably maybe that's where some of your attention to detail comes from. But then again, yeah, Japanese like Toyota was a game changer. For Japan, they automated the the entire plant, and then I think Ford tried to copy them years ago, and they couldn't do it. And so it's just it's just interesting. I find it fascinating how different cultures can be in learning from each other, both both success and failure. But yeah, I can tell like your level of attention to detail is is quite substantial. And then you mentioned how you can be a perfectionist sometimes. I found sometimes that can be a good thing, and sometimes maybe not so good. What do you think about that? You teed me up perfectly. And I'm going to be completely honest. I don't really, I'm, (laughs) I hope this doesn't disqualify me to work with Toyota in the future. And I I love Toyota, Um, but personally I'm a Honda fan. And (laughs) I don't know if you know the relationship of those two companies, but Toyota is the larger company, if I'm not mistaken. And Honda was originally someone who was working on bikes And then he transitioned and he had to go through, I think he had to go through so many different iterations as a founder, the founder of Honda. And he, Honda was also positioned at one point to be strictly a racing company. And then the, he got into an accident. I don't know his first name, but Honda's the last name, got into an accident, pivoted there. I I believe there was a time during World War II where Honda even had to go under Toyota to even survive. But I love Honda because of the Honda element, (laughs) which they don't (laughs) make. anymore. And I just, I've always had a a soft spot in my heart for them. And it's interesting because I think that Honda as a founder, he could also be classified as a perfectionist. And the interesting thing is that what I find inspirational in his story as a founder is not necessarily in all of the various things he ended up perfecting. But I like the way that his vision transformed because he went from saying, I'm working on bikes 
to now I'm going to racing's in, <laughs> I'm going to get get into this. And so that transformative vision, always finding a way to, Hey, it's not perfect. Cause now I have to pivot now. Now we're in a wartime economy, but still finding a way to, to look forward and have that purpose and have the motivation to want to be perfect. That doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, especially when the whole world around us is not a controlled variable. Yeah, that's interesting. That's got to be a great story. And I actually want to go and read up on it now to get the details. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. It's so crazy. The founder stories, like there's so many pivots and just crazy wild stories of how people in their kind of journey of being a founder have run into complete roadblocks and then somehow found a way to pivot and regroup and re-strategize and continue on to build something great. Yeah, it's, I, I think we can learn so much from those stories. So let's, let me kind of circle back to people that want to up their HR game. They want to get someone like you to come in and analyze what they have going on and really work with them one-on-one -on -one to improve their processes and their relationships with their employees, et cetera, et cetera. How, what's the best way to get a hold of you? What's the best way to engage with you to see if that's a good fit? Yeah, such a good question. Thank you. And. Again, I want to stress that depending on who's listening, you might think, oh, do I have to be an organization uh, to talk to my working soul? You can be yourself. You can be authentically one person. You can be authentically an entire team. And, and we're here to help. And in terms of how to see if it's a good heart match, yes, we'd love to meet with you and talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. That's our specialty is one-on-one -on -one as a white glove service. However, especially living in this global era where not everyone has the time with packed schedules, that's why we've launched a podcast called Higher Intelligence, and it's on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. So if you're the type of person that likes to try before you buy, <laughs> so to speak, you can listen to really great conversations about work and start to get a feel for what our philosophy is. And again, we tailor every conversation to you to meet you where you are. And there's a lot of stuff that we actually do for free, especially on the individual side. Whoever you are, subscribe to that podcast and connect with me, Kareen, on LinkedIn. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So yeah, LinkedIn, obviously, and the podcast is Higher Intelligence. Cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out and subscribe. So I haven't done that yet, but I'm going to after our show here. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, I'm interested to see your conversations and you, know, you have a lot of insight. I like, I really like the way that you approach thinking about things and analyzing them. It, you seem very thorough. I'll, I'll say that. Very German, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say that. <laughs> I have a lot of German heritage and it's something I'm proud of because I don't know that people see, see that in my last name in particular. But my grandmother, Susan, she taught me the magic of idioms. And that's the way of finding different pathways to meaning. So that's in terms of what I really prize in my German heritage. It's my grandmother in particular, and it's the, it's the consciousness of language. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to ask you myworkingsoul.com. That's a great place to remind people of where to find your podcast and of course, find you on LinkedIn. Is there any last piece of advice you'd like to leave the audience or anything else you'd like to cover? I definitely don't feel qualified to give anyone advice in that sense, because I have no, I have no idea what they're dealing with. I think right now my aura is that it's, it can feel sometimes like life is throwing us a lot of different things. 
especially in HR <laughs> or at work, all of us work for a living. And my advice would be just to, my advice would be just to know that everything's going to be okay. And I'm not qualified to assess that, but I think that hearing that might be what someone needs to know right now. That's amazing. I think you're right. The second you said it, it just felt right. Kareen Ishio, my working soul. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you.